Welcome to the Alpha Pack Podcast. When you hear the word alpha, what comes to mind? Is it a lone wolf who goes his own way? Or maybe it's a powerful leader who bulldozes over the competition. Well, what if we told you that true alphas aren't lone wolves intent on tearing people down? They're actually dominant leaders who never back down from the challenge of improving the lives of everyone around them. As part of the Alpha Pack, we believe that no leader should be on their own. They need a pack of people keeping them accountable, challenging them, and encouraging them to be the best that they can possibly be. Join us as we hear incredible stories from industry leaders about how to become an alpha that will settle for nothing less than making the world better than the way they found it. Are you ready to learn what it takes to become a true alpha? Then pull up a chair, because you have a seat at the table as part of the pack. This is the Alpha Pack Podcast. So today we want to talk a little bit about self-care. And I think we've kind of hinted at this in different ways, but I'd love for us to spend a little time addressing it directly. What are the self-care routines that you find helpful, essential uh, in your life as we're all running hard at different things, trying to be good husbands, good fathers, effective in business, take care of our health, uh, be intentional in our friendships, in our relationships. You know, we're, we're pushing a lot of things generally at a, at a pretty fast clip in a lot of different directions. How do we keep our batteries charged individually and collectively? I guess maybe if there's a collective conversation, what does self-care look like for each of you? Yeah, I, I let me poke at this just real quick or clarify. Like, why are we talking about self-care on the Alpha Pack podcast? I think there's a, an assumption behind your question that just we need to name. Mm-hmm. A lot of people I know think of self-care as how do I survive my circumstances? Um, and the like. The assumption is that, hey, I'm, my circumstances are fixed and I'm stuck. It's just like, how do I hang on, right? Like, mm-hmm. give me enough encouragement and maybe a little bit of alcohol or sugar and like maybe both, right? And like, let's hang on. <laughs> Ideally both. Survive <laughs> and get through this hard time. And self-care is just like not losing it. Um, the alpha, I've heard, or, or I've heard the other extreme. Self-care is like, oh, I've got a me day and I go to the spa and I get, you know, and, and it feels kind of over the top self-serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I say this to say, I think one of the reasons things I love I've seen about you guys, and that is probably appropriate for us to talk about, not only is this just a universal problem, all of us need to deal with this, but I think if you bring an alpha mindset into this, it creates options that didn't exist if you don't have the same mindset where you're like, mm. you know what? Uh, classic. We're going to get to some stories of times where we've helped each other do this. But Daniel, I think you're infamous among us to like, we talk about how terrible one of our jobs is. And you're like, yeah, you should quit. Like <laughs> you should get a better job. Wait, wait, you don't understand. I can't just leave the job. Yeah. It's called quitting and you do it and you find a better one. Like that kind of, alpha approach to self-care i think we're going to include some of the classic stuff i mean it's not all quitting your job Vic, a lot of us has learned to manage long-term jobs but hey i make a lot of money with that one line <laughs> you should <laughs> you should quit yeah daniel you should Steele, stop doing that executive daniel's your life coach tagline <laughs> you should stop doing that 
So I say all that to say, I, I think it is going to be interesting to talk about how we do that. Cause it's not just spa day though. I listen, I got nothing wrong with a, a nice relaxed hey, day. Not, um, not throwing shame on a spa day. Yeah, um, I, I want to hear, I want to hear how Jay frames this. Cause Jay has shaped my thinking in this area, probably more than anybody else. I know. So Jay, I'm going to throw totally put you on the spot. How do you yeah. think about self-care and kind of where it falls in that I'm just trying to, you know, white knuckle hold on and survive this hard season versus luxurious personal pampering. Like where does that fall in the spectrum for you? That's good. Um, well, let me first say, I don't think I have all this figured out. And I think it also looks different in different seasons that you go through in life and different places that you are. So I think the main thing is, you know, I don't know, I would say probably eight, eight years ago, I think I went through this, man, I'm doing a lot of stuff and I'm getting a lot of stuff done, but I don't, I don't know that I'm enjoying how I'm doing all of it. Right. And mm-hmm. so like the results are there and a little bit of like maybe the outcomes that I want, but it feels like a grind all the time. Mm. right? And so I think that a lot of people that don't maybe have quite the alpha mindset or mentality just sometimes accept that as the reality instead of figuring out like, how do I maybe get the results and have the experience that I want while doing it? And I think that's where I really tried to start thinking and being creative. And so I think a lot of times I look at it more and I don't know this is completely accurate, but almost more like an athlete where it's like, what is my recovery that I need? Like anytime you're trying to accomplish a goal or going after something, or even trying to sustain success in any arena, like you have to have periods of downtime, reset recovery. The the problem is I think a lot of people get into apathy and they call that self-care and that it really just, you know, you waste away from not using the muscles. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but when you're strategically kind of like an athlete, you, you work hard and then you've got times to rest and recover. You're not just sitting on the couch all the time. Right. So I think what I looked at is I didn't want to maybe output anything less in life, but I really got to this place where I don't know that my inputs were matching the output that I wanted. And I was running on fumes a lot of the time. And so I said, what if I just took a whole year and focused on nothing but inputs? Like what are the ingredients of making Jay healthy? And if put into that right system in Hopper, do the outputs increase? So I just went <laughs> on kind of a journey of like how to do that pretty strategically and did a bunch of experiments, you know, like, Hey, what, what are those things? I know. And maybe from a, the starting place, I would challenge myself because I think, again, it seasonally changes. But I think a lot of people don't even know what those activities are for them as individuals. Totally. Like they don't even actually have a list. Yeah. That's really where it started with me. It's like, what are the list of things that are inputs for me or that are recovery mechanisms for me? And you don't want them to be vices. Like, I mean, alcohol and sugar are great, but I don't know that they really help you all the time in the long term. It's more of a coping mechanism than an actual, like, increasing your ability to do something. But I think it's a great place to start. I would just be interested if, like, do you guys have a list? I mean, I have a list. That list gets updated. Like a written list. Like, you know, yeah. Oh, I have a written list. Yeah. 
I'm going to do. You know, I'm like, I know that time in the woods hiking with me or people that I enjoy hiking with, my family, is a real recovery thing for me. I know that getting on my motorcycle and riding is a recovery thing for me. You know, I mean, I know that sitting down and watching a Clemson football game is when they win and not like this weekend when say, they lost to South Carolina. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally an out. The, totally last, come on, the last couple of years, that's been a recovery. Activity. Exactly. <laughs> Normally, it's a, it's a pretty good recovery mechanism. So, um, Jay, I, I really like what you said, though, about an athlete because – I played soccer in college, very small school, but it was interesting because after a game day, we would have a recovery day. That's and right. a recovery day didn't mean you stayed in bed all day and played video games. Like we went for a jog, we would stretch, we'd maybe not knock the ball around a little bit. You didn't probably get super sweaty, but you kind of got your heart rate up a little bit. Yep. And I think that's a really helpful analogy for me to say it doesn't mean do nothing. So one of the principles I think I take from this is there has to be a little bit left in the tank to invest in recovery. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't go all the way to zero because then you have nothing to invest in the recovery you need. That's right. And my tendency is run until I'm past empty collapse, wake up three days later and do it again. And, yeah. and that's not a really healthy, sustainable rhythm. Yeah. And I think you can think about that from the the physical way that God designed our bodies. You know, it's like if you overwork the same muscle again and again and again and again and again, like to the point of like injuring it. Right. Well, you've got nothing left to grow. At the same time, if you never work it out, it literally just wastes away and gets smaller. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the the balance and the timing and the rhythms and the routines to do that. But and it's amazing, like I said, and the amount of people that I that we get to have this conversation with that, that literally don't even have a list of what some of those items are. So, I mean, as far as like a great place to start, that's a great place to start. So can I go next level for you guys? Yeah. Not only do I have a list, but I have a list of positive and negative contributions to my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual energies. Yep. And so like, you know, this is a journal from a couple of years back, but I have found this helpful because I can sit down and be like, I'm off. Like something's off. I don't know what it is, but I'm not okay. I'm the last guy to know. So I'll pull this out and I can actually kind of reverse engineer what's bothering me. I'd be like, okay, I have lots of crying, screaming children, lots of cluttered spaces. I've been around a lot of negative people. There's been a lot of conflict uh, and I sat in traffic for an hour. Positive no. benefits, right? No, yeah. no, that's my list of, of <laughs> negative emotional things. Oh, I'm like, oh. children aren't your positive, huh? That's oh, weird. I I must be emotionally exhausted. That's what's yeah. going on with me. And so it's actually helped me figure out what's going on by having both the positives and the negatives written out. Yeah, I, I think another exercise a lot of times is basically what you're saying, Daniel. Is like if you have that list. And then literally doing a math equation where it's like, right. well, I spend this many hours outputting and I have this many hours of inputs, you know, into my life. It, it really is pretty simple where it's like, mm-hmm. if you continually live at a deficit of I've output a hundred and I've only inputted 10, well, pretty quickly the well's going to run dry. 
and you're going to be in a place where you're not able to sustain high performance. You know, maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but the incredible power of this for me is then like, well, I should just start nudging the list. Maybe I can't completely eliminate my children crying. (laughs) So, yes, I mean, Mm -hmm. what do you do? You just let them cry and hold them and wait a year. Um, But (laughs) some things you can't just magically change. But a lot of this stuff is way easier to adjust. Like, hey, I just going to step outside. I just need to get outside for an hour this weekend. Um, That's in most of our realm of possibility. We can do Uh this. I don't. It's funny. I was thinking about this. I don't have a standing list. I know a lot of this stuff well. I have some standing activities that I put together. What I think I do is is more of an annual review and plan. So I, I, one of my favorite things to do at the end of every year when we do life planning, all this stuff, it's part of our retreats, is to do my 80-20 review and what 20% of things have produced the most joy, satisfaction, life, and energy for me, right? And then which 20% of things have created the most uh, drain, frustration, discouragement for me. And I, by the way, I do another separate one on the financial return. So that might be worth calling that out. Mm-hmm. They don't always map one to one. Like they're sometimes it's beautiful. Like that was awesome. And I made a ton of money doing it. Heck yeah, let's do more of that. Right. But there's occasional things like I doesn't make me a lot of money, but it is just dadgum life-giving to me. And every year I'm like, how do I do more of this? And then that sucked the heart out of me, even if it made me money or not, right? Like, how do I do less of that? And yep. that annual recheck. So I, I make a new list every year. I want to make more, I do more of this. I want to do less of that. Um, I'm going to just recently updated it pretty dramatically and said, Hey, um, I'm taking a, a month this summer. My, my life and family and business was just like, I'm, that was a conversation with you, Daniel. I'm like, I'm kind of overwhelmed. I just, I'm taking a month to catch my breath. Um, yeah. and you're like, so video games for a month. I mean, like, what are you going to do? And like, <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> the reason he asked if there's any one of us who would be tempted, I'd be I'd be top on that list. There there may mm-hmm. have been seasons in my life where I did actually spend months only playing video games. Um, but I say all that to say it was like, no, actually, I think what would be life giving to me is some of this creative stuff I haven't done in a long time, and mm-hmm. some of these trips I've always wanted to take. And so, anyways, I say all that to say I don't have a standing list. I have an annual what. What have I learned? What would I like to do? What's on the past? Maybe some of that's because I like variety. Yep. I love variety is one of the things that lights me up. So, but there are still some standing things that I just like. So I'm, I play video games with a group of guys. Um, and we talk about doing this till we're 90, 100 years old, being a bunch of old dudes who get together at Chick-fil-A in the morning and uh, play video game, board games. It's We don't play video games much, once in a blue moon. We 90% play board games. In fact, we have a big board game Christmas party coming up this uh, this Saturday. We're going to get together and do a gift exchange and goof off and play games. And we'll, we'll probably play board games from 3 p.m. till midnight. Now, I make no money playing board games with these guys, right? If anything, you can say it costs me, but it is just one of the most life-giving group of people I hang out with. I've always loved these kind of strategy games. We play the the like complex, intense, you know. Now, the reason that we're going to spend eight to nine hours playing board games is because Sometimes some of these games take that long. Um, yeah. Well, but so, that's an, that's a thing that you get filled up from, right? I mean, it's it's never one of those things that you you know look at and you're like, oh, you know, like that's going to take a lot of effort. It, it for you, you know, and for other people that might be like that sounds miserable. Yeah, my, 
my wife, for example, who's who's brilliant, but like looks like the the forty page rule books in my games, and she's like, "This is fun for you." Like, right. how is how is this interesting? Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah, just, I think I think part of that, to some extent, that is one of the key learnings. I think that we've gone through in some of this stuff is that the thing that fills you up is not going to be the thing that fills other people up per se mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, you can certainly say, Hey, there's, you know, there's some universal things. physical things. Like we all should sleep. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it's going to be one of those things. If you're running with other alphas and, you know, certainly there could be things where you could say, Hey, what do you think? What are your best practices? And there may be some, you know, similarities or some congruencies, but at the same time, I think it's one of those things like trying on other people's stuff without exploring your own, I think is, is always going to be a challenge. And I think even in our own conversations, we've had, we've had times where we've said, you need to figure out what it is for you. And that's a, and that's a journey in and of itself. It is. I do think though, that, that those four dimensions are helpful Right. To think about the spiritual, right, whether that's a faith thing or or even just kind of a connection to your life purpose and values, the mental aspect, the emotional aspect and the physical aspect. I think real recovery has to have some components of all four of those, because I think each one of those is somewhat of an independent bank account that you can drain and I know for me, when I've hit zero on any one of the four, I'm done. Yeah, uh, the, I'm done for the day. It's not the average of your your four mm-hmm. categories. It's the lowest one. It's, that's the limit of your energy. That's, that's the, right. Yeah, that's the lowest. And so uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking through, yeah, there's some emotional things in my life that are pretty big drains. How do I supplement that and make sure that I've got enough to deposit enough deposits to cover all the withdrawals? I also think the immature version of me thought this was for sissies. Mm. Like, I'm just, just honest. It's like, what are you talking about, man? The real guy, the real people that are out there doing that, like they don't have this plan. They just go and do it and do it again and keep doing it. And then after they're done, they do it some more, you know, and then they, (laughs) they they ask for an extra dose. Right. And I think that is, not true when you are trying to live success in multiple arenas of life for a very long time. And I think you, you can, you can do that on a short term sprint. Life requires that at times last year for me, really hard year in lots of arenas, right? All of us have seasons where death in the family, kids sick, a chronic illness, whatever those things might be. But the, the ability to maintain a pace with no recovery strategy built in for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. That's not how anyone that has been successful over the long haul does it. And I think that's what was so eye opening to me when I kind of got the other side of how some of this works is yeah, like man, good call all up. the top performers have a strategy around this. Yes. Yes. And it's not, it's not out of laziness. It's out of an ability to add more value and to perform more and to make a better difference in the places they show up. And the achiever-driven part of me is like, I don't have time to self-care. I'm making all a difference over here, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it, when you connect, like, I actually can do that more, better, longer 
when I have a strategy around it was a, a huge eye opening and a gift, honestly, because it allows you to have a lot more enjoyment while you're, while you're pursuing things you feel like you're called to do. So I don't know if y'all have had that same realization, but I think I did, but I think I had it earlier because part of my life story is just getting exposed to world-class performers. I mean, literal performers in the early days, like stage performers um, and seeing behind the scenes on how they manage stuff to, you know, high net worth, but high athletes. I mean, some of my high school buddies, uh, you know, went on to become pros and work at ESPN and they're well-known names. And so, so seeing what that world looked like early, I think I had in high school, I had this revelation like, Oh, the ballers are putting a serious amount of thought and effort into the, how they recover. I mean, physically athletes recovering from a game, like there's a, there's a routine. LeBron James might be the most impressive I've seen in this regard. Like as soon as the game ends, it's like down to the minute, he's got this routine that he and his team are doing. He's in ice 15 minutes into this. He's got this particular electrolyte coming in. I mean, like, there's this whole system where he's as professional about the recovery time. Exactly. It, here's the myth, though. I mean, I think it's beautiful that you call this out, Jay, because our performance, our production is public, and then our recovery is private. Yep, that's right. This, this myth. We see these dudes like, dude, I, I bet you there are people who who don't really know you, Jay, like just in your town or your area, right? And they're a couple of steps removed from you. And they're like, all I ever see is Jay Hawkins just crushing it. And they never see the, the motorcycle rides. They don't see you fishing with your son. And they're like, they don't get it. And they're like, ah, man, I wish I could be like Jay, just crush it and not need time to catch up. Because it's, it's a natural mistake that we make. Because again, LeBron's performance is on TV. That's right. Recovery is private with his trainer back in the locker room. And so we think, dude, the man's a machine. And he's like nonstop. Like, well, yeah, because he's designed a system to to continue that. Uh, That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah I, yeah, I would push it a step further. I will say that if you are high talent, there is an extra obligation for you to steward and care for your system, like who you are as a tool. I, like, let's be called if that's you, right? You you didn't earn the talent. Now, maybe you've been a hard worker and developed your talent, but I mean, I'll I'll speak to myself. Like, I got there's some areas where I just have a lot of raw natural ability, and I can't claim any credit. I, right. I didn't do something to to make myself worthy of that. I was born into that scenario. Yeah. What I would say is it actually creates an obligation. I agree. And I don't, I don't get to be sloppy with my system because, because there's all that potential impact and horsepower and influence and all that stuff's available. And if I'm a more, you know, okay. So like, I've got a, I've got a nice BMW is my car right now. Um, and you don't put the basic gas in that sucker as much as I hate that when gas prices go up, that sucks. It stings. It does. <laughs> Daniel is a fellow Beamer dude, right? But you don't get a Beamer and put junk fuel into it and then wonder why your car is underperforming. Right. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. If you've been given that kind of an engine, then, yeah, you put the quality inputs into it so that you can actually get the performance it was designed for. That's right. I think I'll say one other thing in the – I think we speak sometimes synonymous of alpha and leadership at the same time. I mean, I think they're very congruent. I don't know that they're always exactly the same thing, but I think one thing too, just speaking to leaders out there is like, you have to do this for yourself as a leader because no one is going to, in a lot of ways that you lead that 
the system is built for them to want things from you. And the system is built for you to give it to them, right? And so I think that's one thing that you have to really guard really closely as a leader is to say, hey, I'm, I'm here to serve and I'm here to pour out and I'm here to give and, and add value. But I have to have the ability to regenerate or regrow that ability to continue to give. And I think for so often, I wanted followers to say, look at all that he's doing. And like that was part of the recovery is like, well, they're acknowledging what I'm doing. Right. And I think that's great. You know, you need to have some of that. We need to encourage leaders and followers need to encourage leaders. But I think the other side is just as a leader, you've got to be really self-aware and really intentional of doing that for yourself so that you can continue to lead you know, in, in a way that really serves others. It's similar to well, what you said. I, I would say maybe it when I think we're saying the same thing. I'm, I may come at it from one other angle. I've started to realize more and more that as a knowledge worker, I am the product. Yeah. Right. And so my ability to think clearly, to make good decisions that are not uh, emotionally or, or uh, emotionally entangled, right? There are times when emotions are right uh, and appropriate for a decision, but sometimes, many times, we are bringing emotions from other things into yeah. our work. And yeah. my ability to recognize that and and deal with that appropriately, like that's what my clients are paying for. And that requires me to keep all four of those dimensions as healthy as possible because the quality of my work, the quality of my decision-making deteriorates rapidly when one of those four is, is out of whack. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's the same thing in leadership where it's like, sometimes people will say, well, you know, you're out fishing, you know? And it's like, if I truly believe that my heart and my calling is in the right place, me fishing for an hour a week or whatever, and I don't even fish for an hour a week, but I'm just saying if I, if that's what you're doing, right. And the, the level of I'm doing that so I can lead is an important differentiator. And I think an alpha mindset Mm. where it's, I'm not just doing that because I selfishly want to do it, but it really is connected to everything is trying to serve my purpose and my calling. And this is one element that helps me do that more. I think that's a, a level of maturity around self-care that I, you know, I don't know that I fully arrived to, but that I'm wanting to try to arrive to similar to what you're saying. If I'm going to keep making a difference, I've got to take care of myself so I can keep doing that. Yeah. I don't think we've heard a whole lot from Mr. Crowd on this topic. Jonathan, what's, what, what do you think it is? We're talking about self-care. No, I mean, I think that this, you know, I think this is one of those things that I would echo a lot of what, everyone else has said in the sense that I think this is one of those areas that you have to be intentional about it, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, I think there's also seasons of this. Um, I don't know if I would say that I'm in a great season of self care myself right now, um, with some of the stuff going on with family and, and profession and those kind of things. So I think that there is a, there's an awareness. Awareness is half the battle, like knowing Mm -hmm. kind of what, your things are that fill your cup, if you will. And 
I think at least for me, one of the early things on was understanding what fills your cup personally and what fills the cup of others that you can do. And those things aren't necessarily the same. Those things can be very two separate distinguishable things in the sense that kind of like what Jay was saying, like him going out and fishing doesn't necessarily do anything for any of the people he's leading, but it fills the cup, his own cup to be able to lead those. So it's, it's related, but they're distinct. And so for me, those were those were good things to kind of realize early on. But then I think a lot of this is just, you know, in the sense that self-care is is like exercise. And then self-care is like is like eating well. In some ways, I would say it is as much of a chore or as much of as a due diligence as many other things. In the sense that to stay healthy and to stay recovered. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be days, you know, to the LeBron James example, like there's got to be days where he's like, yeah, I don't want to go do the the recovery stuff. Like I'd rather just go get in the car and go to sleep, you know, whatever else, but yet he does it. And so I do think it is a certain amount of work. It's work. It's just a different kind of work. And yeah. so it requires some self-discovery. It requires some self-analysis and, um, you know, and I think that there are seasons where you do it well and when you um, are challenged in it. And so I think those are those are things to, you know, I think I'll say it out loud. Like this is a season, at least for us with our family and whatever else, like this is a season we're really challenged in some of that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, even though you can be doing alphabet stuff and spending time with high net worth and high quality people and high output folks, like there can be seasons where this this kind of thing um, is challenged. Yeah, there's no magic bullet that says if you think like an alpha, you'll never have really hard times and you'll never yeah. have to go through survival seasons. Like, uh, sadly, that's not the. We still live in a fallen world where there's some rough stuff. But I just put you on the spot, Jonathan, and be like, you you've got two tattoos. I mean, the only two that I know of. I mean, tell us what your two tattoos are. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, one of the tattoos we're really getting to that whole fill and pour thing in the sense that so that's um, the tattoos. One says fill yeah. and one says pour. Yeah, like, I mean, like so pouring out, that, not like poured low money, right? Like, right. Yeah, not P.O. Water out of a pitcher. P.O. Yeah. You are. Um, <laughs> and it, I think for me, I think a big part of the realization and part of my journey was was realizing like the things that fill me up, I have to fill myself up in order to be able to pour out into others. But I think so often, at least in my own journey, I found that I had thought that the things that filled me up were the things that necessarily were the things I need to pour on other people. And the distinction Mm -hmm. of separating the two in the sense that I need to do the things that fill me up so that I can pour into others, but that's not necessarily the same cup. In the sense that the things that fill me up will allow me to pour into others, but I need to do the things that bring me joy, that bring me fulfillment, recovery, whatever else, in order that the other pour out mechanism can be full. Um, those things are correlated, but not the same. And that was one of the things that really um, was helpful, was a helpful learning for me in the journey. All right. So what if we just spend a little bit of time as we shift gears here, maybe land with this section. I would love to hear some of the things you guys have actually done to shift your life and world around so that this worked better for you. Where where have you figured this out? I, I mean, I could talk about my redrawing of my sleep boundaries, 
figuring sleep out and um, relationships, uh, money, time. I mean, moving to a different place. I mean, what have you done that said, hey, how, now I see that I'm out of whack. How do I get back in whack? How do you approach this as an alpha? Um, back in whack? Is that a statement? Yeah. Is that a phrase? <laughs> I mean, kind of like a bad ACB song, back in whack. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe right. It'll be on the Alpha Pack rap album. It'll that's be- right. <laughs> Coming soon. I mean, that's hey, that's Die the name of our album. Alpha Pack, back in whack. That's back right. in whack. I'm not uh, sure uh, that is one of the more successful ideas we've had. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'll I'll start. I've done a couple of things recently. Uh, for a long time, I was a five a.m. workout guy, but I'm married to a night owl, and mm-hmm. so just realizing that I was fighting the structure of my life. Uh, if you know, if if the lights don't go off in my bedroom until eleven o'clock, the odds of me getting up at five are are slim. Well, um, you're forced into a choice between staying up and getting quality time with your wife or not getting enough sleep, right? Um, right. Get enough sleep or get time with my wife. And that's a, that's not a good choice to be that's in. A, that's, a, that's a bad choice, right? And so I've restructured some things. So I can go to bed at 11, get up at 7, and still make it to the gym. And I just kind of shifted my day. Now, I have the independence and the freedom to do that. Not everyone does. But... Those are the kind of boundaries that are that are a lot more malleable than people tend to think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to go to your boss and say, "Hey, is it cool if I don't show up at the office until nine thirty and I stay until six or you know like whatever those hours are, oftentimes those are easier to move than people think. Yeah, uh, there are very few jobs where the point is like if you're at a call center, right? I need you in these hours sure. most. Most of the jobs these days, as long as you're generally available to people during working hours, they don't, a good boss won't care. Um, just get your stuff done. So yeah, yeah totally agree. Yeah. I've done similar. I've gotten to the point now where I, unless it's a special event that I can't get around, honestly, like tomorrow morning, I'm going to be kicking off a workshop for a client. But when it's a work day, otherwise, I don't schedule meetings till 10 a.m. That's the first meeting I'll schedule. Now, I'm up a lot sooner than 10 a.m. I wish I wasn't. I am the night owl, like your wife mm-hmm. and I. Would. But there was a season of my life where I went to bed around 2, 3 a.m. and woke up around 10, 10.30. It was glorious. Uh, <laughs> was this also when you spent all day playing video games? <laughs> yes. As I mentioned, it was glorious. Uh, it was a good day. And, and eating my, fried cheese. My Gran Turismo car garage on PlayStation was pretty beast. I just was, say. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> it was pretty epic. Um, I, and I say all that to be like, yeah, so... Uh, having said that, I get up with my family and get them going, and but I, it gives me time to be a dad a little bit. It gives me time to get some physical exercise in. It gives me time to do some, for me, prayer and spending some time checking in on my heart and purpose at the beginning of the day matters. And then I, I can see if there's any crises and I'm ready, usually nine-ish, I'm ready to go, but then I can handle any sort of last-minute stuff that pops up. And I never roll into the day feeling like I'm behind the eight ball mm-hmm. on those days. And every now and then, I got to pay, I'll do a special day before then. That's the only time the client can meet. I'm fine, but I rarely have anybody push back on me and be like, "What, what do you What do you mean?" Uh, like I don't tell them the rule is 10 a.m. I'm just like, "Hey, my open times. All the open times just happen to start after 10 a.m." Uh, now, again, I skip those days, but those are days I'm skipping 
a pretty important set of self-care routines that I'm going through from physical to emotional to spiritual. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I can do a little bit of reading. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that morning. And so I don't know, I'll maybe say this is one strategy I have figured for me, at least I have to front load this stuff and not hope I get around to it at the end of the day. Cause to Jonathan, your point, Mm-hmm. There's some effort required. Now the return is 10x the effort. Like it's totally worth the effort. But when I wait to the end of the day or the end of the week and hope I'm going to get around to it, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> like trying to exercise the end of the day, I'm worn out. It is much harder to make myself get moving. Um, I, I used to be like, I can eat relaxed during the day and then I'll just be really tight at dinner. And I've just learned like, yeah, dang it. I am worn out when it comes to dinner. And this is not the meal that I need to be exercising most of my discipline. Mm-hmm. I've all my decision energy and mental energy on all these other things all day long. I need to be able to relax and have a larger dinner and still stay in my plan. So I eat a light breakfast, light lunch, and then dinner's my one serious meal of the day where if I'm going to flex a bit and have some more calories, I can still do it and stay on plan. Because for me, front load. So I try to really front load my day. And therefore, Daniel, to your point, like I do a bunch of stuff, but I don't make commitments to clients or, you know, do other stuff till 10 a.m. unless it's a special occasion. And I, I don't know, two to five times a month, I have to do something in the morning, maybe two to three sure. times a month I have to do something before 10 a.m. in the morning for a client. And the rest of the time, nobody cares. In fact, they're, they're getting a better Scott for it. Yeah. I try to do a daily self-care routine, a weekly self-care routine, and a monthly self-care routine. So Mm. something small, daily, similar to Scott, try to get some reading, some journaling, uh, go to the gym, kind of, you know, take care of myself before the family gets up. That's kind of my daily routine. My weekly routines, usually Friday nights, I'll just kind of sometimes do something simple, like make a fire in the fire pit. And just go sit out in the dark by myself. My wife laughs at me. I don't care. Uh, It's nice to be away from, you know, screaming, arguing children for an hour or two and just sit out there and just have quiet. Uh, For me, that's helpful. Take a nap on a Sunday afternoon, like those kinds of routines. And then monthly, I try to take a three-day weekend and try to take a little time off. That doesn't mean I go anywhere, but I, I try to check out for one work day a month just to kind of decompress. Yeah. I think one thing that's helped me, I I have similarities to to all you guys. I do this regularly, but that doesn't, hasn't changed a whole lot in the last several years, but like literally just a definition of what an ideal day looks like for you. Like if you could Mm -hmm. live your kind of perfect or ideal day, what would it look like? Because so many people don't even have a target that they're shooting for, right? And mm-hmm. so there's there's no way to engineer or design or tweak around the edges because you don't even know what you're shooting for in the first place, right? And so that was probably one of the first exercises that really helped me in some of this where it's like, That's good. what time would I wake up? Well, how many hours would I sleep? Well, who would I talk to? Well, what, who would I see? What would I eat? You know what I'm saying? What would I not eat? You know, like <laughs> what, what's on the list of like if I really, and, and variety is really important to me too, Scott, but, you know, kind of a standard of, hey, baseline, what would this look like? And and really just, I said, well, how close can I make every day look to that? <laughs> I mean, like how, how, how close can I get to that? And not every day is that. There's days where hard things come up and hard conversations and 
that didn't go the way that you wanted to, or man, that meeting got delayed or this kid got sick or whatever that might be. But I think just for, for anybody trying to get better at this, some definition of a target, you know, you might not always hit the bullseye, but kind of knowing what it is that you need is, is really important, you know? So I I think that's been, that's been really helpful. And and mine's kind of broken in similar to what you have now, Daniel, at this point where it's like, wait, what are the things I need to do on a weekly basis? monthly basis, you know, kind of quarterly, yearly. Um, and, and I'll say one other thing. I, I think I think there's also a myth sometimes where something's a complete input or a complete output, right? So it's either, <clears throat> either care or it's work. And I'm like, mm, I think actually a lot more activities are both, right? And so like the reality is my kids are huge inputs for me at times, you know, they they bring a lot of joy, a lot of satisfaction, a lot of pride. I'm like, man, me and me and James hung out, you know, at a at the lake uh, some this summer, and it was like, man, I had a blast doing that with him. Right? There's other times we're trying to help him do his math homework. Man, <laughs> somebody stabbed me. You know, like <laughs> it, it's not where I want to be. What I want to, you know, American Express. It's anywhere I don't want to be. Right? And so. <laughs> I think that there's a reality to in a lot of relationships and in a lot of things you do in work that it can be a really combination of, man, this is really input that, that fills me up and output at the same time. So just they're, they're, they're where the traps are for this in a lot of people's lives because life isn't lived on, well, I'm either at the beach or I'm grinding it out of the office all of life is really in created in between those two things. And so it's figuring out how to do those in between things really healthy and how to balance. Hey, I spend just much time adding value and getting value from my you know children as I do giving value and, and well, how I, to help them do that. So that's I, I love this. And I would say like, if you want to go real ultimate alpha on this, it's how do I craft a life where the things I do are what I would do, even if I don't, wouldn't be paid for it. It's that enjoyable and engaging and meaningful. Oh, and I also get paid for it. And like when you start blurring the lines, like, is this work or is this play? Like, I don't know. I make a lot of money playing. Um, yeah, I'm intense. I'm focused. I'm, I work hard at it, but it's just super fun. And I, and I will tell you that, that, that is a lot of the life I have worked on crafting and I'm getting really close to that these days where the majority of my year, I'm like, that's kind of awesome. Like it's fun. I would do it. Most of it is not the board game stuff. Like what work I get to do. It's like that. Those are super rewarding days. Um, Yeah. I think I shared that with you guys a couple years ago where it's like, I kind of have a theme, you know, every year of like, here's what I'm pursuing. And it's really been like, how do I, how do I get this entanglement in life of achievement and enjoyment? And where it's like, I don't know when I started one and stopped the other. Right. And so it's like, how closely can you get life? I think that's a combination of living a life that is really productive, but has built a lot of care and sustainability into it. And so, you know, I'm not there all the time, but I, I think that's what we're trying to do. I think it's not just change your job. I think sometimes it's like change your industry or change your role. I I mean, I've made two massive left turns in my career being like, as I figured out more about my life and purpose, like I can't fully live that out in this industry. I'm going to need to shift to make that happen. So 
Yeah, I don't think it it does have to be always this like I gotta go fish enough to make it through my job this That's year. Right. Like, well, why don't you just get a job that you can't wait to be at? That's right. There are ways to do that and and still pay the bills. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's good. You've been listening to the Alpha Pack Podcast. To learn more about how you can implement the strategies and insight discussed in today's episode, make sure to check out the show notes page and follow the pack on www.alphapackcommunity.com. Until next time, we hope you settle for nothing less than making the world better than the way you found it. Stay alpha.